It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kay Wenigal. Hi, Nat. Hi, listeners. Hi, Kay. Okay, today we've got a great topic, artificial intelligence. I know, it's very exciting. So, also known as AI, it's been in the spotlight quite a lot recently, but what bearing does it have on energy? Our guest in the studio today is Gavin Mooney, who has the title of Solution Advisor Utilities with SAP Australia. Gavin is an aeronautical engineer who is now a utilities expert with a passion for renewable energy, clean tech, EVs, and the way these technologies are disrupting the industry. Gavin is going to take us on a tour of the world of AI, energy, and later in the discussion we'll hear a bit about some of SAP's initiatives around climate change. Hi Gavin, thanks for joining us. Hi Nat, a pleasure to be here, thanks. So before we dive into the topic, make sure we're all on the same page, can you give us a bit of an explanation? What exactly is artificial intelligence or AI? Certainly. Well, the first thing to clarify is we're not talking about androids or terminators. That oh. is general AI. <laughs> we're talking about narrow AI, which is where a machine can exhibit human-like intelligence for a specific task, which might be playing chess, for example. So it has to learn, but we're also not talking about it having common sense either. So we provide the ability to examine examples and create models based on the inputs and desired outputs. Now, in terms of how it differs from machine learning, AI is a broad term that encompasses several different technologies and systems, of which machine learning is one. Now, others would include natural language processing, computer vision, and speech recognition, for example. Wow, so, so it's a pretty broad set of different you know, tasks and abilities, isn't it, that we're talking it about? It is, absolutely. And I think those terms are quite often uh, used interchangeably, which can lead to confusion with some people as well. I mean, if we look at exactly what machine learning is, you know, it's the, it's the practice of using algorithms to pass large volumes of data, learn from it, then detect patterns and make a decision or a prediction based on those patterns. So, Gemin, why is AI generating so much interest at the moment? Well, it really is taking off at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. And global spending on AI has actually quadrupled from 2016 to 2019. And if we look at the reasons for that, there are three factors driving the advance of AI. There's innovation of the algorithms themselves, there's data, and then there's the amount of compute available for training. And algorithmic innovation and data are pretty hard to quantify, but compute is actually very quantifiable. So if we look at a, the progression of how many petaflops of compute have been Sorry, used... A, what <laughs> <laughs> a flop is a floating point operation per second. Oh. Um, a petaflop is a huge number many of... of <laughs> and many zeros. Yeah. There's a lot of zeros. So if we There's look at how many zeros. of those... I think it might be 12 or 12? 15, yeah. Yeah, something like that. 
Um, yeah, we, we find there's been a staggering rate of advance. So in the semiconductor industry, we talk about Moore's law being a doubling every 18 months. Well, AI is doubling every three and a half. Wow. So that means that there's been a 300,000 times increase in compute uh, just since 2012. Mm. That's it's enormous, isn't it? It's colossal. Imagine yeah. the data centers that are required to yes. store all that information. Absolutely. Process it. Yeah, our, our needs for computing power just keep on increasing. And you mentioned about algorithmic smarts as well. What's driving an increase in that? Is that increasing as well? It is, but as I say, it, it's hard to quantify. So I think the algorithms themselves, they are getting better and better, um, but it's hard to put a number on it. Uh, it's like, I think, with the, with the evolution of, of personal computing. Not only do you get faster clock speeds, in you know, megahertz became gigahertz and things like that on the CPUs, but as the CPUs developed, they were also able to do more with less. And so that's the sort of thing we're seeing with the, these algorithms as well. Wonderful. So it's not the human side of the algorithms. It's not that we're getting cleverer at it's designing algori algorithms. Oh, I was hopeful there. So what are you saying then? The algorithms themselves are generating more intelligence, essentially. We're coming up with better ways of making them learn effectively. Yeah, yeah more, Which is more efficient ways. So I guess, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, a human has has coded that algorithm. Yep. Um, and I guess, you know, we ourselves are always learning how to make how to make better ones. And then by doing that, they generate more data. And they come up with better predictions. Yeah. Uh, the, the amount of data available for training, that's limited by, by, by the availability of, of data itself, you know, so, and whether that data needs to be labeled, for example. Um, you know, and you know that I think there's a statistic, something like 90% of the data in the world has been created in the last two years. So, you know, we are getting more and more data all the time. <laughs> so as you do that, what happens to that data? <laughs> it, it gets generated, but then do you know where it is, what it is, how to use it? Oh, that data is just is just stored on servers yeah. around the world. So it's stored. Yeah, but, but it's somehow where it's, it needs uh, to be tracked in order to do something with it, doesn't it? Well, yes, you need to provide a data set for for the models to learn on, mm. uh, and they would they would process that and learn, and then be able to make their predictions okay. based on that. Yep. Well, let's find out how this applies to energy. Oh, so I just found out a petaflop is ten to the fifteen. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. That's our trivia for today. <laughs> so you say that artificial intelligence has got a number of roles to play in the energy space, and there's about five different areas that you've identified where it's having an impact. So let's chat through each of those sequentially now. So firstly, how can it assist with renewable energy? Okay. So we've seen incredible falls in the cost of wind and solar. And that means we're seeing increasing amounts of this renewable energy being installed around the world. But the problem with wind and solar is that they're intermittent and forecasts can be unreliable. So if we take the wind first, for example, uh, the wind might be off by 20% or it might fail to materialise entirely. Now, if dispatchers don't know how much wind power is going to be available to the grid at a certain time, they have to maintain fossil fuel powered plants on standby, ready to step in in case there is an unexpected lull in the wind. Now that is not only expensive for the utility, but we're now needlessly throwing carbon dioxide emissions up into the atmosphere. So there's a story here uh, from Colorado where a utility Excel Energy, they teamed up with the National Center for Atmospheric Research to improve the quality of their wind forecast using AI. So initially, with their, with their original forecast, they took data from just one or two weather stations per wind farm. 
But what they do now is they actually uh, take information from nearly every wind turbine and they feed it into a high resolution weather model. Then using historical data, they, uh, the software has learnt which forecasts are best for which wind farms and it assigns a different weighting to each accordingly. And what they've resulted, the result has been a super forecast, if you like, which is more accurate than any of their previous ones. And it means that dispatchers now have the confidence to shut down many of those fossil fuel powered backup plants. And Excel Energy says they're avoiding more than 250,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide a year from going up into the atmosphere. And that should continue to improve. You'd think it would as, as wind forecasts continue to improve and the, yeah. the models themselves. Yeah, that's right. Um, and on the solar side, I mean, that, that was an example from wind. Uh, with solar, the the trouble is that the output peaks in the middle of the day when the sun is highest in the sky. But that coincides with a time when most people aren't home and there's not a huge demand on electricity. And then solar output tends to tail off towards the end of the day as the sun goes down. And that coincides with people getting home from work and turning on the TV, maybe the lights, maybe the air conditioning if it's a hot day, maybe the oven, that sort of thing. And And so what we find today is that most commercial solar farms will actually track the motion of the the sun across the sky but there's a company called next tracker which have uh, have actually taken that one step further so they've developed a system to enhance it by um by using ai so if you look at the the layout of most solar farms the the terrain is generally never completely flat some can be quite undulating and also at low sun angles such as at the, the beginning and the end of the day you find that the solar panels in the front row tend to cast a shadow on those ones behind them which can reduce their output. So what Next Tracker found is that by controlling the tilt of individual rows rather than all rows at once, they've actually managed to boost output by between two and six percent. Oh, it just sounds like a bad design to start with, though. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's a band-aid solution, Kay? <laughs> it's so. a very clever one, though, it and it, that's amazing that's that you can get that sort of gains from individual rows. It is. Row it is control. just from fine-tuning things. Yeah. So looking at another aspect of energy, virtual power plants are being touted as a way to ease grid constraints as we transition to more renewable energy. So how does artificial intelligence help with energy storage, trading and orchestration of those virtual power plants? Oh, that's a big topic. Okay. Well, <laughs> Just, uh, first of all, sure. We've, well, we're seeing these increasing amounts of renewable energy being installed. And that means that energy storage becomes more and more important because we know that renewable energy is intermittent. Uh, and batteries in particular. If we look at the cost of lithium-ion batteries, well, prices fell 80% between 2010 and 2017. And they don't seem to be stopping there. They're, they're continuing to fall. And in fact, um, the, uh, the, the prices keep falling even faster than people are predicting. Now, as batteries become cheaper, they become more plentiful. So many people believe the global market for battery storage is set to explode. And with all this storage around, we're seeing the rise of aggregators. And there's a company called STEM, which I'll talk about, which is one of these aggregators. But just a little bit of background first. If you think about a battery, a battery on its own is really just a building block. It's what you do with it that matters. So for example, telling it when to charge itself up from rooftop solar versus when to allow that rooftop solar to power the home or when to discharge to power the home versus when to discharge to feed energy, sell energy back into the grid, as well as how far and how fast to charge and discharge. So it's the addition of intelligence 
on top of that building block, which actually creates value along with the networks that they comprise. And so you have these aggregators, such as STEM, that's just one of many, that bundle together and coordinate large numbers of these what we call distributed energy resources, such as batteries, to form virtual power plants that can be used to support the grid. But this is quite a complex task, and it's one that's really well suited to AI, because some of these are large. There are a number of trials going on around the world at the moment, but there's one in South Australia which could involve up to 50,000 homes. And at that sort of size, we're talking about the equivalent of a small coal unit or a gas plant. But, you know, instead of coming from fossil fuel, all the energy is coming from people's rooftop solar. And these things really do work. So um, back in October, there was an outage at a power station in Queensland and the virtual power plant in South Australia immediately began injecting energy into the grid to help keep things stable. So, they're so starting the response to make a difference. is fairly quick. The response is, is lightning fast. Exactly. It's, it's faster than anything else can respond pretty much. Batteries. Well, we've certainly seen that with that large battery in Hornsdale in South Australia, haven't we? Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. Um, and there's a little bit of a story there, actually. So that is still the world's largest uh, operating lithium-ion battery. And it was and announced... Um, getting just, bigger by Yes, 50%. just last week, 50% is going to be an uplift in, in the capacity. Um, but what many people don't realise is that it's been operated by an auto-bidder. So it's been making money by charging and discharging at certain times to support the grid. But it's, it's actually a computer that's been deciding when it should trade in the energy markets. And that has allowed it to make much more, much more money than it could have done with just human bidders. Isn't it amazing? I think it cost about $100 million and it's paying back about 30 or $40 million a year. It is. I mean, if we it's go phenomenal. into the details of that, it's quite... Uh, it's quite difficult to see where that money is going directly because some of it will be going to its to its owners, other parts of it where it's providing what are called FCAS services, uh, which is sort of grid support services. That those cost savings are, tend to be distributed across the entire national electricity mm. market. But the numbers are very favourable. And and the, the FCAS is what the coal fired power plants used to provide and don't yeah, need right. to provide because the battery is doing it far more efficiently. That's right. Uh, far more there quickly. has been some discussion that. You know, the, because the, the Tesla big battery, the Hornsdale Power Reserve, has, has cornered such a large chunk of the market, there's much less market available for the second big battery to come in. And they'll end up sort of cannibalising their, mm. their own market. So it'll be interesting to see how, how the economics of future batteries pan out. Well, I think we do need quite a few more batteries. So We do, definitely. Not on, on that, we do. But not necessarily yet. for FCAS. It might be more for yeah. arbitrage and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And that's why the Snowy Mountain scheme is probably a, 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 way too large and way too... Yes, and, and not take distributed all the other and uh, there's some discussion the about whether that will actually lead to, uh, you know, favouring coal fire generation and mm. things like that as well. So, mm, yeah, a whole let's topic m- unto itself, on. that one. <laughs> yeah. So um, image recognition is an aspect that I didn't understand that that would be connected with em- energy. How does that work? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So image recognition is another area where we've seen a lot of recent progress. Uh, To give you an example, every year there's a competition where AI systems compete against each other to identify objects in images. And it's called the Large Scale Visual Recognition Challenge Competition. Now, when people try to identify objects in images, they're right most of the time, but not all the time. They've got a margin of error of about 4%. Now, AI systems have really come on in leaps and bounds. So back in 2010, the best AI system in that competition had a margin of error of 28%. So it was wrong more than a quarter of the time. But by 2017, that margin of error had reduced to just 2.5%. 
So mm. the AI systems are now okay. better than people at detecting objects and images. And it's been like that since 2014. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, this actually has huge implications for automating the processing of photos and videos. So now to come back to what you're asking about, an example would be in power line inspections. Mm. So this is dangerous work. It's uh, historically been performed by engineers climbing up pylons or using helicopters. But that's problematic. So not only is it dangerous, it's slow and expensive. And there are areas where it, you may not be able to fly a helicopter at low altitude, you know, such as over built up urban areas or areas where livestock might be disturbed by the presence of a helicopter. Now enter drones. Drones can perform the inspections 100 times faster than manual measurement. And not only that, they can cut the cost of a transmission tower inspection from about $5,000 to just 200 yeah, so, for example, in uh, cost saving. it's it's amazing, isn't it? Mm. And in the UK, uh, National Grid is using drones equipped with high resolution uh, still video and infrared cameras to assess the condition of steelwork, check for wear and corrosion, and also try to identify faults such as damaged conductors. And then they use AI to analyse the drone footage. And this is where your image recognition comes in. And they determine the overall condition of the asset and whether it needs to be repaired or replaced. And there's going to be an interesting sort of progression here in that at the moment, drone operators need to be able to see that drone at all times. But we're probably going to see the emergence of what we call beyond visual line of sight drones, which is where the drone can just take off and fly off into the distance and conduct the inspections itself. And that's mm. probably going to it'll be um, it'll be regulations that hold that back rather than technology. I didn't actually realize that were those regulations. That, yeah, that I think obviously doesn't apply to the American military, does it? <laughs> or UFOs. <laughs> If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Gavin Mooney from SAP. Now, Gavin, energy efficiency is another topic. It's still promoted as the low-hanging fruit for reducing emissions, but many people and organisations are still having trouble reaching it, even though it's low-hanging. Can artificial intelligence play a role with energy efficiency? I think efficiency? it can, and it's, it's a really... It's a really big area that, that we need to target because buildings account for nearly 40% of global energy consumption. And not only that, but much of it is wasted, which costs an estimated $60 billion uh, a year. So uh, an example of, uh, of a company helping in this space is a, a company in the US called Verdi Gris, which is a startup that helps conserve energy in buildings using artificial intelligence. And there's a little bit of a story about how the company was, uh, was started. So the founder, Mark Chung, went on holiday and when he came back, he was greeted by an electricity bill that was much higher than usual. It was actually five times higher. So he immediately got on the phone to his utility company and they, they said, oh, your meter seems to be working fine. Uh, let's just wait and see what happens next month. Well, unfortunately, the same thing happened. And at that point, the utility didn't know what the issue was. And Mark Chung, being a, a qualified electronic engineer, decided to get himself an oscilloscope, which he hooked up to the circuit boards in his house. And what he found was that he could see each individual device in the house drawing power the moment it was switched on. So every device, when it's plugged in, draws energy in a particular way. It's actually very specific. So you might have two devices that both consume 10 watts, for example, but they'll consume those 10 watts very differently. And so in Mark's example, he tracked it down to a faulty pool pump, which was pretty much on the whole time, replaced the pool pump, and his electricity bill went back down to, uh, to the normal level. But it gave him this idea of starting a company. And so now they have customers in factories, warehouses, hotels, and they've trained deep learning models on the different consumption signatures of devices. And they can now see when a device has a fault. So physical changes at the device level are reflected in the signature. 
and that's enabled their customers to save quite a lot of money. Mm. Wouldn't it also apply to building, say, the AI system, looking at the weather forecasts and working out you know, whether to heat and cool and how many people are in the building, all those things could be added together. And They could, yeah, that's a, that's a really good example. Um, if we look at uh, reducing energy consumption, we could also look at data centres. Now, they consume... Oh, especially we, we as they're getting earlier, bigger and bigger. That's yeah. right, with the petaflops. Um, <laughs> data centres consume about 3% of the world's electricity. Now, to put that in context, oh, really? that's about double what the national electricity market in Australia consumes. And how fast is it growing? It it's is, obviously exactly, growing exponentially. Exactly. So because of the amount of heat they generate, cooling is one of the primary sources of energy used in a data centre. But it's quite a complex task. and It's one that Google thought they could use machine learning for. And it's because we say it's complex. Well, the interactions of the equipment and the environment are complex. And you've got things like what you mentioned, the weather having an effect. And that's unpredictable. And each data center has a unique architecture and environment as well. So Google started using machine learning to control their data centers more efficiently. And they've actually managed to save 40% on their cooling bills. Wow, that's huge. And it's good for the planet too, if that can be applied across all the data centers in the world. Talking of that, SAP itself has been very good in reducing its emissions, hasn't it? We have we have made some strides in, in that sense, yes. So um, internally at SAP, one of our most significant actions was a shift to using 100% renewable energy in all our data centres and facilities. And that's something that we achieved in back in 2014. But uh, off the back of that, we're now committed to becoming carbon neutral by 2025. And that requires SAP to run all of our operations on 100% renewable energy and then compensate for all other emissions within the material scope of our operations. But we're also helping with energy conservation and sustainability through our customers. So, for example, Vestas is a global company dedicated to wind energy. And they've used the SAP cloud platform to make wind energy even more cost effective. So wind turbines are often installed in quite remote areas. And this can make the planning more complicated as well as the communication. Vestas partnered with SAP to build what they've called the One Plan app. And that has standardized and, and simplified this on-site planning process. So they can get their turbines installed more, more cheaply, basically. Or an example from the UK, uh, Northern Gas Networks. They use our analytics cloud solution to anticipate and quickly respond to future demands in the energy market. And in addition to that, because they've got access to SAP's big data solutions, it's allowing Northern Gas Networks to identify existing leaks and predict where future leaks might occur. And that is critical to avoiding unwanted methane emissions. Mm -hmm. and as you may know, methane is a far more potent <coughs> greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So technology's got the capacity to really make an impact on emissions in a lot of different areas. It has, it has. I think it's, it's great to see how we can use this technology to actually, you know, help the world, basically. Um, just doubling back um, for a minute, Gavin, because um, we, we've missed our, our fifth aspect <laughs> of, of AI and energy. So if we can just circle back on that, because this is a personal bugbear of mine, but based on recent experience, customer service from energy providers is a bit of an oxymoron in my um, in my mind. Nevertheless, if we go along with the premise that they're trying to provide some customer service, what role can artificial intelligence play in that? <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right, Nat. Um, 
I think if you look at a ranking of different industries for, for sort of customer satisfaction and things, utilities is right down there near the bottom. So generally customer engagement is pretty low. Um, most utilities these days are using chatbots to automate at least part of their customer service. And I think it's quite interesting to look at how a chatbot is designed. Like they can sometimes be quite infuriating to, to talk to, but um, the design of them, when you think about that the scope of the interactions they have to support is actually quite complicated. So if we just for a minute think about the example of a leave request chatbot. So this is one that an employee would use to request some holiday. Well, if I say to the chatbot, I want to apply for leave on my birthday. Well, that should be quite a straightforward interaction because the chatbot would be connected to an HR system, which would presumably have access to my profile. My birthday's on my profile. There you go. I can apply for leave on that day. But what if I say, show me leave applied for in Q1? Well, that's straightforward in terms of the leave I've applied for, but what is Q1? Is it the financial year? Is it the calendar year? Is it another type of year that our company uses? Um, so that's, um, that's something that, that can be quite tricky for the chatbots. And another big area coming back to the customer satisfaction in utilities is churn. So churn rates are high in the utilities industry. And it actually costs between so six... So by churn, you mean customers changing companies? Perfect, yes. So yep. we have a, a market where consumers have a choice and they can choose who their electricity or gas retailer is. Um, but it costs six to ten times more to acquire a new customer than to retain an existing one. And so customer retention really is key. And there are a lot of things that can influence churn. There might be a, a negative customer experience, a billing error, such as the, the one that the, the Verdigris guy had, or, um, or just a lack of engagement from the utility. But there are solutions now that can use AI to determine customer sentiment based on that customer's interactions with the utility, which might be the phone calls, it might be things that have happened to the customer that the utility sent out, it might be even looking the, at what's coming on Twitter, for example. <laughs> That's right. Um, so with that knowledge, we can then identify the customers that are most likely to churn and target them with marketing campaigns or personalized <laughs> Soften offers them up a bit. In, a, in an effort to retain them. <laughs> I think uh, it, it is a little bit like that. But also, I think if the customer feels that they have a personalized offer, which actually suits them very well, it might make them feel a little bit more valued. Now, what about, let's get on to something else because we're just about running out of time. What about cybersecurity risks with the increased dependence on AI? Oh, yes, you're right. There are risks. Um, and in fact, just last week, some, of the, some utilities in the US were with critical infrastructure, such as dams, were targeted. Um, but that's, that's a big topic. It's probably one that we, uh, we could almost devote an entire session to, I think. Yeah, mm, fair enough. So let's finish up with this topic, which is energy market disruptors. So are there any others that you see on the horizon that we can quickly mention? Um, okay, very quickly then. I think I'd first of all say blockchain is still probably more hype than substance, so not really there yet. I think electric vehicles, although Australia is a laggard in electric vehicles, we don't have a policy or much uptake. It's a question of when rather than if. And when they come, they're going to do two things. They're going to dramatically increase demand for electricity in Australia, and they are also going to mean that everyone who owns an EV is driving around a huge battery. And that opens up scenarios such as driving to work, charging your car at work using rooftop solar, and then driving home with a, uh, a full battery and using that to power your home at night, for example. So well, I think that will be quite interesting, along with the entrance. And feeding it back into the grid when required. Potentially, yes. When exactly. needed. Use it to stabilise the grid. Thanks, Gavin. Where can our listeners find out more? Oh, if they want industry uh, information in Australia and beyond, then I recommend the Energy Insiders podcast, which is run by Giles Parkinson and David Leach from Renew Economy. 
Uh, and also for more about what SAP is doing in this space, go to sap.com forward slash purpose. And there you can see how SAP helps the world run better and improves people's lives. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time today, Thanks, Gavin. Gavin. Thanks very much. My pleasure. We've been speaking to Gavin Mooney from SAP. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.